news and the awful tragedy happened here in our city. September 11th, 2001. Tragic days like these in the life of our country demonstrate the, the courage, the resilience, the, the great resolve of our nation. We always rebound. We always come back stronger after each tragedy. Thank the Lord for that. Now this morning <clears throat> at 5.46 a.m. began the 21st anniversary of the attack of 9-11. This morning in remembrance of 9-11, I want us to honor and thank all first responders, police, fire, ambulance. Come on, stand up if you're one of our first responders. <laughs> all right, let's all stand and give the Lord praise for these folks. These courageous men and women, they, when the rest of us are running away, they're running into harm's way. On 9-11, an estimated 2,996 men and women died in New York City. But did you know, according to the CDC, another 3,311 have since died from complications? There have been uh, those that were in the smoke in the fire, and they've died from cancer, 3,311. As we know, two other planes were hijacked that day. One struck the Pentagon, where 125 more people died. And then the fourth plane was, as we all know, taken down by the heroic passengers of United Flight 93 in a field in Pennsylvania, preserving the lives of whatever the intended target was, the White House, the Capitol building, we will never know. But friends, the terrorists did not get their way because America is resilient, courageous, and powerful. At each site, a memorial has been erected to the brave men and women who gave their lives. Each year, including this year, there is a tolling of the bells to remember those who gave their lives with such courage. And this year, here today in Las Vegas, there is going to be a flyover from Nellis Air Force Base. Let's listen for it. Okay, it's not going to be at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. I, I was hoping it would. I'm not sure when it is, but uh, be watching for that. Did you know that the USS New York is an amphibious assault ship that was built, every ounce of it, from the steel from the Twin Towers? And finally, I just want to say this morning, as we pause to commemorate 9-11, those cowards whom I refuse to name who planned this evil attack are all dead. And I'm sorry for them. Uh, I, I, I hope they came to know Jesus. But I'll tell you what, a bunch of cowards attacked our nation. We at Trinity Life Center very proudly and very unreservedly support our police. We support our firemen. We support our first responders. And I want you to continue to pray for our first responders, and I want you to pray for our nation and for the sins that have occurred in our great country. And I want to thank the Lord today for what He is currently doing and what He has planned upcoming for us who live here in this nation. I'm telling you, friends, so many wonderful things are happening. I believe with all of my heart. I woke up the other day, and 
I was praying, and as I'm always praying for this move of God, this sovereign move of God, this revival in Las Vegas, and I heard it so clearly in my spirit, the Holy Spirit witnessing to my heart, and he said, the revival is here. The revival is here. The prophecies that were given right here in this church years ago are being fulfilled. Shows on the strip are now exalting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's happened all year long. Different groups coming in. And uh, another wonderful thing that happened, uh, I was telling this story the other day. I'm in a strategic meeting with the spiritual leaders of the, the city and we're strategizing on uh, and, and telling each other what's happening from our neck of the woods. It's amazing what's happening. And I was telling this uh, story about the tower, the Strat Tower, becoming a 24-hour prayer tower. And there were a group of worshipers at this meeting that said, Pastor Randy, we've already gone up there with our worship instruments and we have worshiped the Lord at the top of the tower and given Him praise and we agree with you that one day, 24-7, there will be prayer going on from that tower. Praise the Lord. We have dads in schools. I want you to keep praying. I want you to keep uh, volunteering, guys. I know it's been a, we've had a real battle to, to get through the tunnel, but stay with it. We need you. Uh, guys, we're just looking for, like, the school that we go to, Valley High School. We're asking, we, we go Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 11 to 1. So we need to cover those six hours. So if you could give two hours a week, uh, or just somehow help us, get involved, be a dad in school. Al Cotton has gone all the way back. He's substitute teaching in the schools. The Lord's using him right now in the school last year that had the greatest tragedy. One of the teachers was assaulted, left for dead in her classroom. Thankfully, she made it, but uh, he's right there on that campus. Thank you, Al, for your dedication. And uh, Pastor Hatch has a fatherlessness initiative that is glorious. This is the problem. This is where all the students that are angry and have their issues, they, most of them come from fatherless homes. And so we are absolutely strategizing and putting things in place to attack these issues head on. And I think it's great that God knows who we are and what we're doing here in this valley. He's up to something, friends. Join with us. Pray. Seek His face. Ask Him, what's your part? How are you going to be involved in this great, great move of God? Friends, we need to learn how to soar. Don't be sore. S-O-R-E. S-O-A-R. Soar every day. You're SR-71s for crying out loud. If you stay on the ground, you're just leaking fuel. Let's fly the way we were designed. We are believers in Christ. We are Holy Ghost-filled believers in Jesus. We were designed to fly every single day. Fly every day. Don't be grounded. Don't stay on the ground. You know what? If you went right now, let's say that there were, uh, we went to a, a field and there were like, I don't know, 300 SR-71s and they're all firing up. Oh, man. It would be awesome. And you know the one who would really stand out? The SR-71 that's just sitting there leaking fuel not doing anything. Oh, friends, wake up every day. Practice the presence of God every single day. Know that He's with you. You know, the Bible says pray without ceasing. You can't pray without ceasing unless you're practicing God's presence on a daily basis. So wake up and don't stay grounded. It's like Pastor Olga just said to all of us, when things get rough, when things are going very, very 
difficult and hard in your life, the key is to soar. How do you do that? You worship the living God. You give Him glory, honor, and praise and thanksgiving. You say, I am a child of God. I have been made to sit in heavenly places. The devil has been given the, the, he's called the prince of the power of the air. So if you stay grounded, you stay, you know, again, grounded could go both ways. I'm talking about the bad way of being grounded. Like you can't fly. You got wings, but you're not flying. So, don't be that person. <laughs> Get up. Begin to worship. Begin to praise. Everything's going wrong. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Lord, I am not going to stay on the ground, but I am going to get to where Satan is under my feet, but he's the prince of the power of the air. How does that happen? You were made to sit in heavenly places. Ephesians 2, I believe it's verse 6. We are the people of God. But every day I think it's important. You know, you kind of wake up and you got to start up your SR-71. That's the greatest flying machine they ever made. And you know the only two defenses that an SR-71 has, it's, it's a reconnaissance plane. It doesn't have any weapons on it. It's defenseless except for two things. And this, I want you to apply to your Christian life. There's two things that help that plane to stay active and alive and working to its full potential. That's altitude and speed. I feel the need for speed. So get up every morning and very quickly move into that place. Lord, I believe in you. I love you. I'm yours. This is your day that you've made. I'm going to rejoice in it. I'm going to be glad. I'm going to watch you use me today. And when everything goes wrong, I'm going to give you praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, stand up with me right now, and let's give him some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Teach us to fly. Teach us to soar. Glory to God. And you know the old saying, you know, and I, you know, it's hard for me. I get, it's hard to challenge you to soar with the Eagles because Pastor Daniel is such a fanatical Philadelphia Eagle fan. And he won't let me forget it. Every time I tell you, soar like an eagle, he's like, yes, yes. And I'm like, no, no, not that kind of an eagle. The kind that the Bible talks about. We are those who are like, and if you don't soar with the Eagles, what are you going to do? You're going to flutter around with the turkeys. So let's soar. Come on. We are the people of God. Chapter 3, 1 Corinthians. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. New Living Translation. I had to talk to you as though, um, I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid, solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. You're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? These people were grounded, they, they couldn't fly. Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another one says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it. God made it grow. It's not important who does the planting planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. 
The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. Both will be rewarded for their hard work. We are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. Verse 11, very important. No one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have laid, the foundation called Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on Judgment Day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Father, in Jesus' name, as we approach these marvelous scriptures, Lord, this book is alive. That's why our government's so scared of it. It's why they, uh, up till this moment right now, are refusing to allow it to be that which leads our nation and, and gets back into the schools. Father, I'm praying for the Bible to get back in our schools. That our children will be taught the precepts of the Word of God. And Lord, just let this deeply impact our hearts today as we search out what it really means that Jesus Christ is our foundation. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you're seated. When Solomon's temple was being built, the Bible prohibited the use of any tools to cut or shape the stones at the site of the temple. Why? Because the Lord wanted serenity. He wanted a sense of holiness to permeate the temple grounds. That's one thing I always appreciated about Queen Elizabeth II. She always went about her business with such a sense of duty, such a respect for her position. She was absolutely an amazing woman. And uh, we pray today for the transition over in England. Uh, as you know, today's the first day of the NFL. Actually, it was Thursday. It's the first Sunday of the NFL. And uh, someone sent to us Cowboy fans, um, Queen Elizabeth, one of the few people that was still alive when the Cowboys last won the Super Bowl. That's just wrong. It's just wrong on every level. You haters. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7 says that the stones used in the construction of the temple were finished at the quarry, so there was no sound of hammer, axe, or any other iron tool at the building site. So all of the stones were cut, shaped, dressed at the quarry. This work was done by 70,000 stone carriers and 80,000 stone cutters. Look at 1 Kings chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It says, Solomon also had 70,000 common laborers, 80,000 quarry workers in the hill country, and 3,600 foremen to supervise the work. Each stone was shaped at the quarry for its particular place in the temple. Psalms 118 verse 22 says that the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. That accurately predicts the rejection of Jesus Christ as he would have to go to his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. 
Did you know that there's a Jewish legend? The Jewish people pass down a lot of what they know through an oral tradition, and then some of it's written down. But there's a legend that we can't factually substantiate but I believe it's really true that one of the stones that came from the quarry early in the building process of Solomon's temple was delivered to the temple site and it was very uniquely shaped. The masons didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> they didn't know where it fit, so they rejected it. They cast it aside. Uh, they said it was defective. And it lay unwanted in the rubble heap for many, many years. Moss grew over it. It was covered with other debris. The temple took seven years to build. The day finally came and arrived for the temple to be finished. The stonemasons at the temple site waited for the capstone to be brought from the quarry. But the capstone never came. The capstone is the final stone that was laid over the door of the temple at the roof line to complete the building and hold the building together. After a frantic search, someone remembered, hey, remember that oddly shaped stone that we threw aside and rejected long ago? The stonemasons went searching for the stone which was difficult to find under all the moss and the debris of seven years, but they eventually found it, brought it from its place among the debris, and found it to be precisely the final piece that fit the temple together. And as it was placed in position, the people gave praise to God for the temple that had been completed and for the stone that had been rejected, which was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. The Hebrew words in Psalm 118, 22, and you'll find it again in Matthew 21, 42. However, they are not referring to the capstone placed last in the temple. They refer to the cornerstone placed first in the temple. The cornerstone is the most important stone in the entire building. It's the pattern for every stone that follows. It also determines the location of the building and its direction. As Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, ladies and gentlemen, our goal is to resemble Him in every way. We want to look like Him. We want to be shaped like Him. We want Him to determine the boundaries of our lives. We want to seek every day to say yes to everything He says yes to and no to everything He says no to. The Corinthians were, were still foolish and immature. Paul uses this Greek word sarkanoi in verse 1, which means that they were made of flesh. So we're all sarkanoi, but the problem was that these Corinthian people were sarkikoi, not only made of flesh, but they were still dominated by the flesh. All of their actions, in fact, their entire outlook on life still had flesh at its foundation. Paul needed them to become pneumatikoi, those guided by the Spirit so that the church could properly develop and be built on the correct foundation. Paul's key phrase around which the entire section of Scripture we're looking at all the way from 1 Corinthians 2.13 to 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, it's all summed up in verse 11 from today. And I want to read it to you from the original Greek translated by Larry Wilson. For another foundation no one is able to lay from the one having been laid, who is Christ Jesus. Christ is called the foundation, the chief cornerstone, along with also the stone of stumbling 
and the rock of offense. These are different images of of who Jesus is, and it's central. It's essential for us to understand this in the church. In 1 Corinthians 3.11, he's called a foundation. And I want you to know today, clearly he is capital T-H-E, the foundation of the church. He is the foundation of the Christian life. He is the foundation of salvation. The foundation that Christ laid for the church is through his sinless life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and then his glorious return for his perfect, spotless bride, the church, which is soon to take place. Jesus Christ, our chief cornerstone, is unique, and he is perfect, and he could never be replaced. Salvation can only come through Christ and through Christ alone. It is exactly his unique death, his bodily resurrection, that provides forgiveness for our sins to everyone who puts their hope and their trust in him. And he provides the righteousness and the eternal life, which is his gift to us, every one of us as individual Christians. Jesus Christ is the only foundation and the model for every one of us to follow. Just like the Twin Towers, Christians are rejected and knocked down in life. But if you have Jesus Christ as your foundation, you're going to rise up. You know, the Bible says that a, a righteous man can get knocked down seven times, and every time we get back up. We rise up in victory after an attack of the enemy, and the Bible says we are always led in triumph in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. In chapter 3, Paul is speaking of the Corinthians as making up the church, and he's not just thinking of a church building But he's thinking about the Christians in Corinth who are part of the building blocks of the invisible church. Look at verse 16. We didn't actually read that today. But it says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? The original Greek says it this way, you, plural, are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you, plural. Many Christians will read this verse, and they'll think, oh, that's referring to me individually. No, it's not. It's referring to the church as a whole. Chapter 3 deals with the threat to the church due to the divisions and their reliance on human wisdom over God's wisdom. Friends, the church is not just a collection of individuals. It's not just another human institution. No. The church is the spirit-filled, miraculous expression of the kingdom of God here on earth. So often we, we, we focus on our individual Christianity, our individual growth, without placing the believer's gifts and ministry into the context of how that operates within the entire church, how all Christians are designed to fit together into one building with Jesus Christ as the foundation and the chief cornerstone. Did you know that the idea of an isolated believer with no connection to other believers either in Israel or in the church, that never once shows up in the Word of God. That is not biblical. You've heard it all your life. I, I, I went through a period of time. I, I was raised in church all my life, and some people hurt me at church, and I just told the Lord, Lord, I don't need that. I was real young. I was a teenager, I think, or maybe late teens. And I just said, Lord, let's do this. You and me, we'll have a great time together. 
And the Lord just so beautifully, so sometimes he just speaks to me so clearly. And he just said, that's great, son. So what's going to happen when you share my love with somebody else? I said, well, that's good. I'll share with them. And then uh, you know, I'll meet with them and, and tell them more about you. Great. What happens when they lead somebody? You know, and you know where this is going. Eventually, you're going to have a church. If you keep shining Christ, you can't be out there on your own by yourself. We are the people of God. We need to fly. We need to soar. We need to be the people that God uses every day to bring others into relationship with Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and when we get to it later, chapter 12, that's where we see how individual members of the body of Christ are supposed to fit together. So when I preach on forgiveness, when I preach on patience with one another, humility, putting others' interests first, when I preach about agape love, a lot of people only view these qualities as necessary for their own individual spiritual growth into the image of Christ. But friends, I'm telling you today, those are absolutely essential qualities for the church as a community of believers under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul speaks of Jesus as the foundation in 1 Corinthians 3.11 only because these Corinthians that he's writing to are failing miserably at being one body. They're, they're failing terribly at being unified and obedient under Christ. They're jealous of each other. They quarrel with each other. Uh, most likely they're quarreling over who is the wisest, who has the most world's wisdom, because that was very important to them. They, they were quarreling about who's the most spiritual. <laughs> the church may stumble after the attacks of the enemy, but the church will always rise up in victory over the enemy. But just like the church in Corinth, acts of jealousy, pride, gossip, selfishness within a church body, did you know that all of those things can actually bring down the strongest church? I want to show you this picture again of the USS New York. Christ Jesus is our foundation. So every church can be built or rebuilt into a place of victory. Just like the 9-11 memorial was rebuilt and the steel from the towers became a great warship, the USS New York Paul calls these Corinthian Christians carnal, fleshly Christians, and says he had to speak to them as babes in Christ. Like I mentioned to you last week, they're still babes in Christ, even though he taught them every day for 18 months. And their growth as a church had been stunted by all of these factions, these jealousies, these arguments, these divisions were destroying the unity of the church. In verse 5, we see the question asked, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? You know how it says it in the original language? What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, and each as the Lord has given. The question isn't who, but what? What role did they play? The answer is that they were equally important in their roles in the church, as all of us are. It's Jesus Christ who is all important. The rest of us, we're just servants. We're just doing what we're supposed to be doing. Trinity Life Center, let's not get caught up in self-importance about what role we play. It isn't about who plants faith in another or who waters that faith. Neither the planter nor the harvester, according to the Word of God, are really anything. Christ is the foundation. He's the one who gives the increase. All things are to the glory and praise of Jesus Christ 
not us. So if you ever get that down, you'll never be jealous of others. You'll be encouraging. You'll be supportive. You'll be patient. You'll be loving. In that way, Jesus will be seen for who he actually is, the foundation and the chief cornerstone of both our local church and the church of Jesus Christ all over the world. Now, after speaking about Jesus as the foundation, Paul next begins to speak about how Christians build. We need to understand we are builders. We are building up the church on its firm foundation, Jesus. In verse 12, you'll see that Paul lists six different building materials in descending order of quality. Gold, silver, jewels or precious stones, and then wood, hay, and straw or stubble. Verse 13 tells us that the work of each Christian to build on the foundation of Christ will be revealed through fire. 2 Corinthians 5.10 also speaks about the judgment that we will all receive concerning how we built on his foundation. Here's 2 Corinthians 5.10 from the original Greek. For all of us, it is necessary to be manifest before the Bema Seat judgment of Christ in order that each one's labor to receive the things which we have done through the body, whether good, whether bad. This is called the Bema Seat, the Bema Judgment. Seat. So here's a picture of the original Bema seat in Corinth. This is where the awards were given out after the athletic contests. Paul uses this same Greek terminology to show us that one day we all will come before Jesus to receive our reward for what we did after we came to know Him. How did you build off of the chief cornerstone? What will, will, will what you are building and the materials with which you are building withstand the fire? Listen, let's just say everything is lost in the fire of judgment. Verse 15, back to 1 Corinthians 3, says it this way, the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. At the Bema Seat judgment, three of the materials, gold, silver, precious stones, jewels, are the materials that will not be burned up. Three materials will be burned up. Wood, hay, and stubble or straw. And this confuses a lot of Christians about, in fact, the whole judgment seat Bema seat thing is not really clear for a lot of people. I want to make it as clear as possible. If you're a believer in Christ, you will go to the Bema seat judgment. That's the one you want to be at. If you're at the great white throne judgment, no chance. You're, you're done in for. Because that's when he'll open the books on everything you ever said, did, thought, imagined he'll open the books and show you your sin over and over and over that you refuse to ask Jesus to forgive you of and you will be punished for those sins. Even though you don't have to. Jesus took that punishment for you. So be smart. <laughs> Invite Jesus into your life. Don't let this be unclear about what Jesus wants from you. You receive him. His marvelous gift of everlasting life. Now, do something with that gift. Don't just sit on it. Go forward in his name. Shine for him. Fly for him. Let people see the glory of God through the way you live your life. At one point in history, the only quality that the Christians felt was going to be judged at the Bema seat was the fact that you had correct doctrine. But then others began to notice that the building of the church wasn't just doctrine, but it was people. So the real key issue became, what kind of person are you? Do you represent Christ? 
to the best of your ability on a daily basis. Now, according to the context, whether a person is a carnal Christian or a spiritual Christian, that's what's very, very essential. Carnal Christians, like the Corinthians, they build with wood, hay, and straw. But mature Christians build with gold, silver, and jewels. In 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 4, there are numerous qualities that contrast a carnal Christian and a spiritual Christian. I want to show these to you. Those characteristics which belong to the carnal Christian are divisiveness within the church. I don't really like them. You know, I like them, but I don't like them at all. Arguing, pride, self-centeredness, the qualities that lead to building on the foundation of Christ with gold, silver, and precious stones are when you step up and you protect the unity of the church. Oh, really? You don't like them? Hold on, man. You're talking about my brother. You're talking about my sister. Now, let's pray for him right now. Let's, let's build the unity of the church with humility in our hearts and lives. Not one of us here haven't been talked about by somebody. So be humble. And the more God uses you, the more that they're going to talk. My brother-in-law was, was a television evangelist, and I said to him one day, how do you handle all the criticism? He says, oh, I just pray they spell my name right. We are the people of agape love. Agape love. That's perfect love. That casts out fear. That's love that loves even when you are someone you found out that they, they are trying to destroy your reputation. What do you do? Just love them. So all these things are important along with correct doctrine and righteous character. So I think a broad view should be taken when we look, taken when we look at the, the, what constitutes building with gold and silver and precious stones. So here, here we go again. You want to build with gold, silver, jewels? You want to send that to heaven before you get there so that's what you're rewarded with when you stand before Jesus? Well, then, work on your correct doctrine. Have a righteous character. Protect the unity of the church. Be humble. Walk in agape love. And those aren't the only qualities. I think also mercy, forgiveness, having a pure heart, the qualities found in the Beatitudes, all of the fruits of the Spirit are significant factors if you're going to build with gold, silver, and precious stone. See, I've heard so many sermons through the years, I'm sure you have too, when we get to this portion of Scripture, all we ever do is emphasize the bad behavior, the wood, the hay, the stubble, don't do this, stop doing that. Oh man, I want to be people that say, this is who we are. This is how we live. This is what life in Christ looks like. See, let's raise our sights today. Let's have a higher estimation of each other. Let's emphasize when you see someone and they're just filled with gold, silver, and precious stones, go and commend them for it. Go and thank the Lord for it. Oh, I think a, a spiritual Christian is the one who builds on the foundation of Jesus Christ, our cornerstone with inflammable gold, silver, and precious stones. But see, I'm not the judge. Jesus is our judge. He's the one who knows everything about everyone. He's the one who's able to discern the motives inside people's hearts. So let's keep looking within. Let's keep discerning, excuse me, our own motives through the power of the Spirit. And let's make sure about three things, ladies and gentlemen. Number one, 
that our teaching is always first and foremost Jesus Christ crucified. That's number one. Number two, that our actions are constantly filled with love, humility, and mercy. And number three, that we all together are working to build up this local church in unity. Now, I do want to tell you a, a true story of a rejected stone. It comes from Florence, Italy in the year 1464. A massive marble stone had been selected for a sculptor to decorate the capstone of the cathedral. The first sculptor worked on the stone for only a few months, and then he quit. And then it wasn't until um, 1476, so 12 years later, a second sculptor comes along named Rosalini. And uh, he was a great sculptor, and he began working on the marble, but he backed out quickly when he said this marble is only of mediocre quality, nothing good could ever come from this block of marble that you gave me to work with. It was then on September the 13th, 1501, all right, now we're going quarter of a century later, a 26-year-old sculptor began to work on this stone. He finished it three years later in 1504, that rejected, mediocre block of marble had been turned into the sculpture of David. Perhaps the greatest sculpture ever. And this now 29-year-old sculptor who turned the mediocre block of marble into a great masterpiece was none other than Michelangelo. Now I'm going to show you the pictures uh, modestly. Uh, we're going to put a fig leaf on them. And I want to show you these two statues. See, um, the first one here on the left is that work of art. This is a replica, I'm sure, but uh, that's what happened way back when, okay? Um, that's David. And the second picture is the same statue after three years in America sponsored by Burger King and McDonald's. We borrowed him for three years, and now we're going to send him back to Italy just a little different than the way we received him. Don't miss this next thing I'm going to tell you after you see my silly sense of humor. In fact, let's take that off. Uh, it's too distracting. Okay, that's good. Leave that one there. See, the stone which the sculptors rejected became this great masterpiece. You have been rejected somewhere, sometime in your life. And maybe you're here today and you're struggling with that. I've struggled with that a lot in my lifetime. But I want you to think of yourself this morning, this afternoon, as uh, a unique piece of marble that ordinary human sculptors couldn't do anything with you, and they gave up quickly on you. But the chisel in the hand of the master has turned you into a masterpiece. Jesus. He'll never stop working on you. He'll never stop chiseling on you. Can I just give a word to uh, our young people here? You know, when you are at home and you're a teenager, young adult, and, and you don't like your uh, parents' rules and, and uh, you don't want to follow them, you know what a lot of kids do? I love this. Uh, they throw out the little chisel and the little hammer, which is mom and dad, who have been trying to help you all this time. They throw that away and they go sign up for the army. Now you got a big chisel and a big hammer. They're gonna mold you. They're gonna, 
yell at you. You can't yell back. But you're going to come out of there much, much more a masterpiece. But you could have done it at home if you'd have let mom and dad help you. All the parents said, amen. <laughs> Jesus is the master artist. He knows exactly what the block of marble stone you are should end up looking like. He knows exactly where and how to chisel each one of us to make us come out exactly like the chief cornerstone. It's true. Going through the chiseling process is never going to be comfortable. It'll never be easy. It's painful. And parts of us that we thought we couldn't do without get chiseled away and we become vulnerable. Friends, he chisels away negative feelings, poor motivations, selfish thoughts, and sinful behavior. But once the master artist with the chisel has made all the cuts, we will be found perfectly in the image of Christ. Oh, that day. What a day that's going to be. When Christ has used his chisel on you, you will go through the fire and nothing will be left except gold, silver, and jewels. But there's another type of person called the natural man who is not a Christian and the things of Jesus Christ are foolishness to him or her. To that individual, the chief cornerstone, believe it or not, will still have a significant role to play in your life. You know why? Because those who reject Jesus Christ, much like the builders rejected the chief cornerstone, he will now, in your life, become a stone of stumbling and a rock of scandal. That's what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. You can read it, verses 6 through 8. And it, it brings all of these ideas together. The rejected stone, the chief cornerstone, the stone of stumbling. Friends, it's a warning to those who reject Jesus Christ. To the natural man, Jesus, the chief cornerstone, will become a stone over which you will stumble and it will be fatal for you. Don't let that happen to you. The promise to the Christian is that anyone who puts their trust in Jesus, 1 Peter 2.6 says, will never be disgraced. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes right now. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior,